Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting, as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. It's another beautiful day up here in uh, Stony Point, Ontario, and I thought today would be a great day to reach out to my very good longtime friend, Mark Butts. He is the production and lighting designer at Preset Productions. Thank you so much for making time today, buddy. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. How's, uh, how are you holding up over there in, in LA these days? We're, we're good. Uh, things are calm. We're just, you know, using the time to uh, learn some new skills, brush up, brush up on some old ones, and uh, just trying to be productive and stay positive. You know, we, we got a little light at the end of the tunnel, so hopefully, uh, you know, that's all we need to keep just moving forward. So, so far, so good. I do love hearing uh, the stories of people with light at the end of the tunnel. I've been talking to quite a few people. <laughs> I'm talking to more people with lights at the end of the tunnel than I am people without. So that's, uh, it's great to hear. Yeah. Yeah. You need a little, anything you can latch onto, you know, and, and uh, just find some, something to work towards, you know? So that's what we're doing right now. There's yeah, it's, it's going to be a while. It's going to be, it's going to be a while before everything's back, but uh, at least something's moving. That's all we really need. So. So when this first hit, did you freak out the same way I did? I, I didn't, it wasn't a physical or a mental scream or breakout, but it was definitely an internal quick sense of gloom and uncertainty and franticness when like flights started canceling and, and uh, projects that I had on the book, I had to, I, I, I would, I refused to delete them. I just put canceled on some of the things because I, I needed to remember that those were there. Uh, did you did you freak out the same way I did? Uh, it's actually funny because I was looking at my calendar this morning, and you know Kenny Chesney has a shared calendar for his entire crew, and it's still it's still online and it's still being updated. And in, in some weird sense, I think to I don't know if it's just trying to give people hope that something's going to happen, or at least we can think about what would have happened this summer, all the fun we were going to have. Um, you know, I I didn't freak out. Partially because as we were talking, you know, I've, I've gone through something like this a couple times before. So uh, where I've just had like six months of my calendar just wipe away within a matter of like 72 hours. So there's definitely fear of the uncertainty and what the hell is going to happen. But it's also, you know, you have a plan. So now's the time to implement that plan, the, the financial plan, the everything else. So it was just kind of like, yeah, I'm scared. I don't really know what's going to happen. I have a precedent for this. So I've been through it this is what we're going to do. So that's, that's kind of what we're doing. It is scary just because there's so much uncertainty and that's the biggest worry right now is nobody really knows what's going to happen. Yeah. I remember in Vegas, I remember nine 11 being one of those times where just everything in a matter of moments was just everything changed. Yeah. And I, I remember just 
gig after gig canceling. But even then, for me, like I was just a, a lighting technician then. I was uh, fixing lights at the Verilight shop. But for me, that meant that people weren't going to be able to fly. And so I could still, I could still pick up gigs and uh, you could kind of scavenge quite a bit then i don't know if there's much scavenging to be done right now it's i mean it's everything the only scavenging to be done is to completely switch or adapt somehow the unprecedented part of that right there's there's nowhere to hide at the moment so Mm -hmm. the only thing you can do which is what i've chosen to do besides you know there are some people that have chosen to leave the business and maybe for good or bad reasons but it's just to kind of implement that plan which is to like what are the skills we need to work on what's going forward what's going to happen and how do we be a part of that, you know? So just trying to project all that stuff. Like we know that most likely television is going to come back first in our business. So how do we make sure that we're part of that? And every conversation that I've had with people about production that's going to happen this year, they're all television projects, you know? So it's just trying to figure that out and start focusing on, you know, where, where can we be? Where can, how can we position ourselves to take advantage of that, you know? Uh, so this might be too much honesty, but as a designer relations developer, I have to like kind of maintain and I have to kind of categorize a lot of my, my relationships. And I, I went to put you into like a field and I'm like, is he corporate? Is he concert? Is he television? Is he installs? You are basically uncategorizable. <laughs> I, I, I started looking at some of the stuff that I've even worked with you on and between you and me, I mean, we've done you know, four or five shows and all of them were in different parts of our industry. Was that by design or did you just fall into that? Well, I I mean, initially I just kind of fell into it much like my career in general. I just kind of fell into it. Uh, I never planned doing any of this, but through those other, you know, those other shutdowns, I, I kind of learned that, you know, just like your investment portfolio, the more diversified you are, the better, right? You're going to take a hit, but if you've, you know, if you own, all your money's in Apple and Apple loses 50%, then you're fucked, you know? But if you own a hundred different things and one of them loses a little bit, you're going to be fine. So I, I realized that uh, I realized the value and diversification and being able to move between those things. And, you know, for many years, the concert industry was, was really, really weak. So it was a lot of tours and, and business events and that kind of stuff. Concert industry has been on fire for the last 10 years or so. But that's probably going to change as the economics change, the fallout from that. But I think TV and film is going to be be back because there's no new content. So it just it just made sense to try to work in as many different things. And all of those disciplines are totally different. So you can apply, you know, you can bring a concert aesthetic to a, a, a television show or, or vice versa. You know, so every time I go out and do something, it's with different group of people and I wind up learning something. So that's great because it's, it never gets boring. Sometimes I'll see a stigma of, uh, of a TV producer or director asking, well, should we bring that guy in? Well, no, no, not that guy. He's a, he's a rock and roll guy. Or should we bring him in? No, he, he, look at his resume. All he's done is installs. How are you able to break the stigma or the mold and say like, well, no, I'm, a, I'm just a programmer. I can do anything that you ask me to do. Just ask me. How did you break that? You know, honestly, I think it's just, it's just trying to do is, you know, the best work that you can and just understanding that there are definitely styles for each type of the, like a, like what you would do in a corporate event or a television show. It's a completely different style and just being exposed to as much of that, being open to that, being able to, you know, 
learn from the people who are there. You know, I was lucky enough to work with some, some of the best people in the business that taught me how to do television lighting, that taught me how to do, you know, corporate events and rock and roll. Once you understand that, but then it's also the credits as well. Television is probably the most difficult part of our business to get into because the stakes are so high, and especially like a live television broadcast. There's just no room to try out new people and see if they're going to work out. So you've got to be able to like, you know, people have to be able to trust that you can come in and you can handle that. And it's just a matter of proving that to people. Just keep working, keep learning, being open and doing good work, you know. Do you have to change your workflow around almost completely or just a little bit when you have to switch from, say, rock and roll to an install? Uh, Well, I would say the biggest difference is from like a concert tour world to uh, like a broadcast, like a big award show, live tear or something like that. That workflow is probably 50% different if I'm programming, uh, the way I set the console up and everything. But fundamentals are always there. You know, how you do a time code show, how you, you know, build stuff out, how you navigate, but the interface is much different because in a TV show, you're jumping around and rehearsing things out of order. You might not ever see the completed thing until you're actually doing it. And then you have to try to fix it on the fly and that kind of stuff. So you got to be set up for that. Uh, On a concert tour, you're just playing stuff back. You've got time to sit and fix it afterwards. So you just, the workflow is a little bit different. On top of diversifying your programming skills, you've also diversified your skill set. You can program, you can lighting design, and you can production design in all across all fields. So you sure. you kind of have you're like the Will Smith of lighting. You're you're straight to the top of all your fields. <laughs> how did how did that come about? Did you was it just a constant progression? Yeah, I mean, I, I a while back I decided I wanted to start designing in part partly because it was just the next challenge, right? You know, the programming side was you know I, I've you know, I've accomplished a lot of what I wanted to, to do on the programming side, and I didn't feel like I had a lot to prove at the time, uh, although things constantly evolve and everything. But the design seemed just like a whole other group of people to know. It's a whole different workflow. There's just different software, all this stuff to learn. So it just made sense to, to, to just start trying to do that. But also recognizing, especially on the touring side, there's a lot of like mid-level artists that they, they can't afford a huge production and they can't afford, you know, I just tried to offer like value to them where like I can do the production design, the lighting design, and then I can program some of it too. And or I can bring somebody in and help manage it. And that adds a lot of value to, to people in the mid market range where it's not, you know, two or three flights or two or three per diems and hotel rooms and everything. So that served me pretty well too, because I was able to just kind of turnkey an entire project for people um, like mid-level big clubs, you know, mid-level BX and stuff like that. It worked out great. Oh, you can you can kind of come in and be everything for your for your client. You're like, well, I'm, I'm a one-man crew and I'll take care of all that. If you give me the time, I've got all the talents necessary. That uh, that's, makes you like a Swiss Army knife, Mark Butts. Yeah, but I mean, there's you know, there's good and bad to that too, right? Like you, you know, on yeah. a major event, you would never want to do that, right? Because yeah. there's definitely it's definitely there's definitely value to having other people in the mix creatively and um, from the management side and everything, but not everybody can afford that, right? Not everybody is doing NFL stadiums and that kind of thing. And there are a lot of up and coming artists that are pretty much dollar driven. So that was the sweet spot for that kind of stuff was being able to offer, you know, a great product at a good price. And then hopefully we all kind of grow together into that and we can start adding more people to the team as, you know, as the artists grow and that kind of stuff too. So, so far so good. Do you ever find it frustrating switching hats? Like, let's say you're on one show and you're the programmer 
And then on the next show, you're the lighting designer and you bring in a programmer and you're like, oh, that's, that's not how I would do it. That's not, hold on. Let me, let me just step over there for a sec. Do you ever, does he ever find that frustrating? No, I actually love it. I mean, that's, that's all part of it, right? Of like, because it's a challenge, right? You know, you, you have to think about different things. You have to, and you know, the, 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 one of the hardest lessons that I learned was when I started designing and other people were programming of being out of control and just realizing like, man, especially on a t- on the TV side, like, you know, I'm sitting in the truck, like facing the brunt of all these people. And, you know, my fate is completely in the hands of somebody else sitting in the dark somewhere that I have no control over, you know? And so oh. I it totally changed the way that I thought about like when I'm programming for other people, especially like large network television shows, how that, re- what that relationship is and what it feels like to be in, in their, their spot, you know, the pressure that they're under if, we're not performing, but really the hardest thing was to figure out like when I was programming, I could work through ideas really quick by just throwing stuff on stage and just playing around and everything. But I couldn't do that if somebody else was programming for me. So like the first couple of times I worked with Andre, I think I pushed him aside because I just couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> think through what I wanted to do by asking him, I just had to do it myself. So I had to come up with like a new workflow. Of how do I communicate? with programmers to do stuff on the TV side. That, that would, that was kind of a struggle for me. And it probably still is because it just, it's just a totally different thing, but it's, it's also cool because it's now it's a whole new vocabulary you have to learn. And Andre and, uh, you know, Jenkins and all those other guys that I've had programmed for me have taught me a ton about programming too. So it's, it's a, it's a win for everybody, you know? It's a good way to describe it. It's kind of a, a resource back and forth. You're like, okay, look, I'm going to do my best to put my ego aside and kind of roll with you. And, but on the flip side, we're both going to have a new viewpoint of what both of us are doing. For you to be on both sides of the clear comm and knowing what both people are kind of uh, experiencing, I'd imagine that helps you refine your vocabulary a little bit better. Totally. And when you can see like when you can sit in somebody else's chair, you know, like the, like the television analogy before and understand what it was, what's, what it's like for like the designer sitting in a truck under all that pressure. And there's just nothing they can do except relay information. It just changes the way that you, you think about that stuff, you know? So in a, in a perfect world, you know, we build these teams and the part of the whole part to the team, at least as far as I'm concerned, is it's not about just like me imposing my will or vision on something. It's that we all kind of work together and we all learn something, we all have some fun, and we create something that all, all of us on our own could make something good. You know, together we can collaborate if we can all put our egos aside and make something great that none of us would have ever been able to come up with on our own. That's fun. Mm-hmm. That's why we do this, right? Absolutely. So was it this natural progression out of rock and roll and into everything else that led you to move to LA? Yeah, it, it was. I Part of it was... I was living in Columbus, Ohio, which was a great place to live, but I was traveling so much. I mean, I think the last year I lived there, I was gone 300 days or something like that. So it just got to the point of like why, you know, I, I had gotten divorced and, and so I was just kind of there on my own and, and uh, I, I wanted to live somewhere where I could work locally. And my goal was I wanted to work like 100 days a year in whatever city I chose to move to. And I looked at moving to Nashville and Atlanta and, and you know, I had good friends here. I had professional relationships here and there's a pretty deep pool in LA to work and it's also very diverse right you've got concert tours you've got film shoots and you've got tv and all this other stuff so 
10 years ago, I just decided this is where I was going to give it a year and see how it went. And 10 years later, here we are. Was it intimidating? There's a lot of people that uh, think they're going to move to LA and they're going to be the biggest thing that moves to LA. And they, that turns out to not be true. Was that, I'm, I'm, I don't know if that was a, a major factor for you moving to LA. Well, no, not really because I had, I had done a lot of work here and I had been doing a lot of work with, at the time when it was VLPS, they were, you know, I was doing a lot of stuff with Full Flood and with Karen and a lot, you know, Simon and all these guys. So I had a pretty good, and that was part of it too, is I had professional contacts here where I felt pretty confident that I could, I could come and let people know that I was here and I could, I could start working. The biggest thing was I had never really explored LA as a city before. And so I just had that perception of like, oh, it's just a bunch of strip malls and terrible fast food and everything. And I, I wasn't sure I was going to like living in the city at all. But it's one of those places <laughs> where like, it, un, unlike New York, LA is, a, I think, a city that rewards the effort that you put into discovering it. So you put the time in and uh, you find some pretty, pretty magical places that you'll never find anywhere else. And that was the, that was the big fear is like, I'm going to just live in this strip mall wasteland. But as it turned out, I couldn't picture living anywhere else. <laughs> I, th I think a lot of people have misconceptions about LA. Uh, one of them is probably one of my favorite stories from when my wife and I were going from Northern California to Vegas and we were going to stay in LA for about three days and we were traveling through and my, a good friend of mine who lives in Hollywood said, Hey dude, you should totally come over and hang out. And as we were driving down, I'm like, Hey babe, we're going to go to my friend's house in Hollywood. She's like, what? <laughs> you didn't tell me we we're going to Hollywood. I didn't bring anything to wear. Like, oh no, it's it's not what you think. Yeah. It's, it's, she's like, what do you mean? Well, you know, he lives in the Holly in the Hollywood Hills. It's not that big a deal. He's he's a great guy. It's gonna be super casual. He's, she's like, I I need heels and a dress or something to go right. to Hollywood. And then roll up to Hollywood and Highland. She's like, this is it. Oh, this is what is this? This is Hollywood. Like, <laughs> Yeah, babe, this is it. This isn't, you know, this is what they're hiding. This is another city. Yeah. It's also, I mean, I, I know it's definitely one of those, it's not for everybody, right? You know, there's definitely people who, Absolutely. who, who hate the, the, some of the aspects of it. It's a, it's a really good fit for me, you know, especially as a, a Midwesterner, you know, I can kind of, you know, live in a, you know, I live in Pasadena, so it's a little suburban and quiet and there's trees and, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And I can walk everywhere. It's a great fit. It's also probably the most dense collection of creative people on the planet, right? So it's not just writers and film and everything. It's, you know, artists and musicians and people that do it. It's just exciting to be around that kind of thing, right? And it's inspiring to make you want to work and do better when you're surrounded by all these people that are way better than you and more talented than you anyway, right? I'm one of those people that kind of get, uh, I get pulled from above rather than pushed from below. Meaning like, I like to be the dumbest person in the room because it makes me want to go home and learn more about whatever we were talking about rather than the smartest guy, right? So LA is that, that kind of place for me. Uh, it's inspiring. It's good to know that <laughs> that's still true because I think that's one of the major allures of LA was that people, you were looking to meet that next big person to help you propel your career to the next, to the next step. Uh, it's right. good to know that that's still happening. Do you find it harder to network in LA than it was in the Midwest? Are you, are you having to like search harder to get those connections? No, I don't think so. It's, you know, there, there's, because there's a critical mass of industry here, there's always 
you know, an event or a dinner or, or there was, you know, there was always something to, to do, right? An open house or, or a oh, product demo. very recently. Yeah, or product demo. So it's, it's pretty easy to do. Um, you know, there are physical limitations and certain things where like, I'm not going to drive to Marina Del Rey for lunch with somebody because, you know, I don't have four hours out of my day to, to drive over there just to have a <laughs> cup of coffee. So those types of things, you know, but um, there's a ton of stuff and it's just like anything. You know, if you something you want to get involved in, you just need to look. There's so much stuff available here. And Nashville's that that way too. Like where I go out when I'm in Nashville, I'm out all the time because there's just so many great people that live there that we can go hang out with and manufacturers and you know, vendors and all that stuff. So it's it's a pretty easy place to network. And we're all we all kind of get it. We're all in this together, right? So we all know what it's what it's like to try to break into that. And so we'll try to help the people that really deserve to get help when it when it comes time for that you know so one of the things i used to really love about la and and even las vegas as well is that you just had everything in the whole wide world available to you it would it was especially handy for people like yourself who are a bit of a connoisseur uh, uh, appreciate the finer things in life you have everything available to you within an hour or two yeah i, I can't think of anything that you couldn't get a hold of in la is that something that benefits you even as a designer that you just have so much inspiration available to you? Yeah. I mean, in, in many ways it's, it is like an embarrassment of riches, you know, where, where you've got <laughs> your, your, it is, I mean, you're, you're, you're true. It's like, it's a, uh, everything that you could possibly want is, is somewhere. And I remember talking to somebody years ago when I was thinking about this and somebody that had grown up here and they had something that, like, you know, no matter the great thing about L.A. is no matter what you're interested in, there's a group of people that meet in a church basement on Tuesdays somewhere. So if you're interested in some mm -hmm. esoteric thing, you're going to find six people that you can hang out with in the city that are going to be into that, you know. And it's just it's just cool to have access to all that. But it's also one of those like just the food scene in general. It's one of those like, where do you even where, where do you even start? You know, so it's it's intimidating coming from a small town. To, to just like you have this whole thing in front of you and it's like, well, I don't, I don't really know where to even begin, you know? So you start with your friends and you start with, you know, things that you're interested in and just start exploring, see what happens, you know? Where did you begin? What was the first Epicurean event that you went to in LA? I think when I first got here, it was probably some really good Chinese food. It was like, it was like a Szechuan, like a hole in the wall Szechuan restaurant in a strip mall. And then uh, I think the first week I got here, Butch Allen took me to a, a Vietnamese place that was like, it was like a carry-out only banh mi place that we just sat on the trunk of his car in this parking lot and ate these amazing sandwiches that cost us, <laughs> I think all total, our lunch between the two of us was like $7 or something like that. And it was just kind of like, this is amazing, you know, uh, start with that stuff. And, you know, you start with Jonathan Gold and the, the uh, you know, the column that he would write and and just start finding places you like and build off of that. And it's the same thing you do professionally, right? You find those one or two people that are doing the job that you want and figure out why they're successful, what skills they have, that kind of thing. Get those skills, start building on it, and then just keep going, you know? Having everything available at your fingertips, how do you stay, how do you stay fit and healthy in LA? Having everything at your fingertips and having, having so much abundance. Well, I mean, the great thing about LA is that we can eat pretty well and uh, there's a pretty, it's a pretty healthy city, like lifestyle wise. There's a big emphasis on like, you know, healthy food and, you know, exercise and that type of thing. And that was a commitment that I made 
in my life years ago because uh, I used to be, you know, pretty unhealthy and, you know, pretty overweight and that kind of thing. So that was just something that I just decided this is, this is going to be part of my life. This is what I'm going to do. This is my lifestyle now. I'm going to take care of myself. And it's, it was another good fit for that city because you can do that pretty easily. Yeah, I have to admit, I recently hung out with somebody who, who knew you. It was uh, one of Raj Kapoor's associates. And she was saying that she had never seen you. She didn't even know the, the former Mark Butts who was unhealthy. She'd only known you as a healthy person. Right. So you've been taking care of yourself for so long that people have just, former Mark has just disappeared almost completely. That's probably a was good thing. <laughs> yeah. Was that a, a Midwestern dietary thing or was that a, uh, you just didn't know any differently? Yeah, I mean, we grew up, you know, it was like meat and potatoes every day, you know, type of thing in the Midwest. And I mean, I think I was probably in my 30s before I had any green vegetables or anything, you know, and it was just, <laughs> and, but it's also, it's, it's part of our business too, right? You know, if you're, if you're doing a rock tour um, or you're traveling all over the world and everything, it's hard to, to be healthy. So you kind of fall into that category. Like I'll just grab, you know, slice of pizza at the airport or burger for dinner because I'm tired or whatever. So it, it's easy to fall into that, you know, especially if you're touring and, and that kind of thing. So it, it took some effort to figure out like, okay, this is going to be a priority and this is what my life is going to be. This is what I'm going to do. So yeah, that's just, it just kind of all shook out that way, you know? Yeah. Out on the road, it's a really fine line to walk because you don't want to be the one who's the diva or overly demanding, but at the right. same time, you just can't eat hot dogs and cheese pizza all the time. You got to go to somebody who's like, Hey, you guys come on. You got to feed us something with some, uh, some protein and some, some, some sustenance, you know, we can't live off of Burger King here. Yeah. And you know, that was, that was part of the problem too, is, you know, like there are certain, like when I was out with Eagles, you know, those guys had an amazing, like super healthy food, that type of thing. And, uh, but they also, you know, have the money to spend for that kind of stuff too. And there's a lot of people that are just doing, you know, flat meat for lunch every day. And after, you know, four or five days of that, you know, eating bologna sandwiches and hot dogs. It's kind of like, man, you know, I'm going like, to die if this, this is bad, you know, but I'm, I'm happy that it seems like a, uh, there are a lot of people that are, have realized that and are starting to try to, you know, figure out a way to at least be, you know, the people that want to be healthy, you have some of those options, you know, I know it, unfortunately it's, it's expensive to, to be healthy and to eat well in this country, you know? So like, it's, it's not necessarily unlike in like Europe and Asia and that kind of thing. Sometimes it's a lot easier. I think people have started to realize that connection between the type of work you do and how you feel about yourself, your mental health, your physical health, and the kind of stuff that you do, you know, during the day. And people have figured that out to a certain extent, sort of focusing on that. So that's, that's a big advantage. Yeah, I was reading recently where this is the first time in history that the poorer people are, the fatter they get, and the inverse correlation there of how expensive it is to eat healthy. Mm -hmm. I was say it's a shame that you know you kind of have to be, you kind of have to have some financial means to be healthy in this country. You know, it's definitely not like that in other parts of the world. It seems. So one of the other things that's interesting about our world these days, and this uh, directly correlates to you, is we are starting to mix all the genres of lighting together. The most recent gig that we worked on was the Country Music Awards, mm -hmm. or ACMAs, CMAs. But it, it, it's like a, it looks like it's a festival, but it's actually a television show. Right. And a lot of people get confused by the difference there. What, what's the difference 
for you? Like, what do you, how does your workflow change when it's, when it looks like one, but it's the other? A lot of times it's the biggest thing is, you know, how people are lit and the way the spotlights work and, and that kind of thing. And that's really to certain artists that have never done that before. It's really disconcerting, right? Because they're not used to like fall spot being on them at, at all in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a you know the the television approach is i think simpler in terms of like the big like rock and roll rig and everything because you don't see a lot of like you're not looking at it like on a wide shot like you would from front of house so the uh a lot of people look at it for the first time when they see it live and they go like well this is kind of lame you know but then they look at it on tv and they realize that all that nuance that you would you would usually spend a lot of time doing for like, you know, for like a live show, because you're just looking at a wide shot, you don't do because number one, it doesn't pay off. And number two, you just don't simply have the time, you know, I can't spend an entire day programming one song. So it tends to be just like a a simpler broad strokes approach for the broadcast stuff. And the touring stuff, we just spend a lot more time and it's a lot more nuanced. It's got to be especially tough for you because you're the front person when people come in, they're like, hey, so I'm here, I'm uh, so-and-so's LD, and this is how I do things, and I just need a couple hours at the console, and they're like, no, your artist is here, and you're here, but this is our thing, we have have different requirements, Uh, we're going to have to, you're not going to get as much control as you're accustomed to. Is that something you have to face fairly often? Well, you know, every one of those things that those quasi- you know, festival things is different, right? So like CMA Music Fest, for example, is ABC really tightly controls it based on quality. So from the very beginning, they were, they said there's, there's really no interaction from guest LDs or any of that stuff. It's a television show. You guys drive this. But other things like, you know, I did like an Apple Music Festival and they gave, they just handed the reins to the LDs and let them do whatever they wanted which in some cases was a really bad idea. People, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's just some certain things that like, you know, it's a broadcast show and, but, but a- Apple did it because they just said, this is, we want to represent the artists the way they want to be represented. And that's, that's just what it is. Right. So okay. C- CMA is, you know, I've done for 10 years at, at least. And so most people in Nashville kind of know the, the deal with that show now, right. They know that okay. what it's going to be, but we also try to like present artists, you know, we, we don't look at it in terms of like, oh, this song needs to be red or this song needs to be blue or something, but there's an overall vibe. Like, you know, Keith Urban's got a very specific kind of vibe and energy and everything. So, and Eric Church has got a very specific type of vibe and energy and, you know, Kenny Chesney, of course, and all these other people. So we try to be, we try to be true to, to that and make sure they're not presented in a way like Eric Church has got, you know, a bunch of like lavender, you know, pastel spinning gobos on stage. It's not going to work for him. Right. So we try to at least keep that their, their brand and their vibe and their, their look intact as much as we can for that. Other than that, that's about as far as we can take that. Yeah. I think a lot of the, the corporate events are starting to get on board with that now too. They're, they're inviting bands to play at their annual gatherings and it's i would imagine it's kind of the same thing where let's say these big a-level bands come in they think that they're going to get all the strobes and all the hits and stuff that they're accustomed to but they're like no actually no we're we're only really set up for for lectures and uh, some talking head stuff here so so you're going to get some some floor lights and uh here's 
10, 20 movers, like, oh man, we're, we're really accustomed to much more than this. Right. I would imagine that's something you have to really dig deep and, and find your motivation to, to give a huge rock show with a corporate rig. Yeah. And, you know, I've been on both sides of that where, you know, I've, I've come in with artists to do a show and we've walked into like, you know, we're, we did an NFL stadium the night before and now we have like 30 K of, of pars and like, you know, four <laughs> staff, you know, on the floor. And, and then I've been on the other side too, where I've had people come in just like huge egos, just demanding all this stuff and, and just being kind of dicks about it, you know, that they didn't get what they wanted or they just, they didn't advance anything and they just expected and all that stuff. So it really just comes down to managing expectations across the board, right? On the artist side, if we go into a festival like that or, or something, they need to understand, the artist needs to understand what's going to happen and what it's going to look like. And most of the time, they, if you explain that to them, they're, they're good with it. They just don't want any surprises once they're on stage. And then on the, you know, the console side, it's just being able to manage personalities and doing the best you can to give those people what you want, but also getting them to understand, you know, who we're working for. We have a set of rules we're trying to deal with as well. And most people are most people are pretty smart about that too. And at this point, we know most of those people that are coming through, the people that are usually really, really difficult, we don't typically see again. <laughs> that was a very good way of putting it. <laughs> well, I mean, let's face it, right? If you're, you know, part of this is about, it's about how good you are, but it's also about the type of person you are and, you know, your personality and everything. And I mean, I haven't always lived up to those standards, you know, uh, but everybody, you know I mean? But across the board, I mean, it really comes down to, can you do the job and do people like hanging out with you? Or are you going to be a dick about everything or can you, you know, kind of get through it? And especially on those festival gigs, I know you've been out on those, like where you, you're walking in with some huge artist to some terrible festival in another country somewhere. Uh, how do you get through that day? Uh, you know, and have as much fun as possible and just kind of go home and, and get it, get, you know, there are days where like, this is going to just suck, you know? So how can we get through this? You know? Yeah. I have to admit, I've been the guy who's come in and they spent the entire day getting these shutter cuts exactly right on the scenery. And I just sat back and twiddled my thumbs knowing that I had a show, you know, with a, a major artist later that night, but their, their a levelness didn't, matter at all it was all about the ceo of that company and the way he was shutter cut and the exact intensity and how he was comfortable on stage and i mean he must have rehearsed you know his speech 20 times while we sat and then we loaded in and i had 30 minutes to put together a rock show and i had color per song and hit the hits and made sure the audience lights were where they belonged and you just have to know that you have to be able to describe to your artist, like, hey, that's, that's I, I give you everything you had with all the time I had. So, you know, that was it. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's also knowing that, uh, and understanding that too, right? It's like, if you, you know you're going to go into like a festival or a corporate show and you're coming from like NFL stadiums, you're not going to get that look, right? So you just have to, part of that job, you know, in that role, if you're the LD or, or whatever, is just to being able to turn that into something. And then, like we were talking before about where it just kind of comes down to like the vibe and the style and everything, right? Like we can, we can recreate Kenny Chesney's style on just about any stage anywhere in the world. Like we're not going to recreate his stadium show anywhere, mm -hmm. but we can give, I can create a Kenny Chesney performance, you know, in a nightclub or in a basement somewhere that's true to who he is and how he wants to be presented. 
um, mm -hmm. with a pretty minimal amount of stuff. And that's really the key for like those touring LDs and designers is understanding, you know, what that, what that is and how can you give that to that artist every night with wildly different expectations and, and just, <laughs> you know, I'm sure you've done shows where you're going from, you know, 20 trucks of production to like a basement somewhere, you know, or, you know, a, te a terrible festival rig in somebody's backyard. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we did that with the Eagles where we did, you know, we played in somebody's backyard in Stanford, Connecticut for 150 people one night, but we still needed to do an Eagle show. Yep. No, I've done the backyard where uh, we had to run extension cords through the kitchen and yeah, you gotta, you gotta do it. And yeah. you gotta just put your ego aside and say, nah, that's, that's what I'm getting paid to do today. I'm running some cable through the dog run. We're getting paid the same. Yeah. And, but that's the, that's where like really good LDs really, matter right uh, and, you know and sound engineers and all those guys is being able to to understand all that and take like okay this is our look and how do you make how do you make that look out of something like that in, in a private backyard or something like that and still you know give the artist something that is you know fits with who they are you know so that's the people that are really good at that but you know don't have the ego and that they're able to to do that you know how can you create that look and you know anywhere you go so you might not always be successful, but you can at least hopefully get close every night. You know? Do you get to head back to the Midwest when you do the, the country tours these days? I do. As a matter of fact, I was working on Kenny's tour, which would have started a couple of weeks ago when this whole thing shut down. We were actually loading in and just doing our first couple of days of checks in Nashville. And uh, they finally decided to shut everything down. So I stayed a couple of days after to keep working in hopes that maybe we'd restart sometime this summer. And then finally after LA shut down, I came home the, the next day, but uh, I get, you know, I go home and see mom and dad every once in a while. And I'm in Nashville quite a bit when touring season is kicking off and CMAs, which is, which isn't happening this year, but typically it's a good, you know, I spent a good chunk of time there as well. It's a great place to be. Nice. Yeah. How is the, how's your shelter in place situation in LA going right now? Are you going to, are you going to make it out to the beach this weekend? No, I mean, we're, <laughs> yeah, no, well, we live purposely live in Pasadena on the opposite side. So we, I mean, I go to the beach maybe once a year when I live here, just because it's just on a good <laughs> day. It's, yeah. But it's a good, on a, you know, I mean, it's only 20 miles, right. But on a good day, it's a huge pain in the ass. So we're not going to, we're not going to worry about it when nobody's working and we're just going to hang here and, and just keep being safe and, and everything until we get a little more clarity on what's going to happen. So no, no reason to risk it. Right. Nice. Good yeah. for you. So that's very clever. So one of the last questions I have for you is from an article we did where we all kind of had to come together and we had like four lighting designers working on the same gig. Are you finding that to be more and more of the case when we do all come together in one event where like, let's say it's a, it's a touring that goes through a corporate event that's going to be televised. Do you right. get three or four LDs on the same one who all kind of have to put their, their soup in the spoon as it will? Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, especially like, you know, broadcast or, or corporate or where there's always going to be somebody else in the mix. Right. Um, and unless you're just touring exclusively doing your own thing, there's always going to be somebody else there. Right. So it, everybody just needs to kind of understand everybody else's role, put your ego aside for a bit and, you know, realize like if, if they're bringing in a broadcast LD to, to shoot this, um, that person has a job to do and, you know, they're, 
they hopefully have our best interests in mind as well. And if they're really good, they're trying to just capture what we're, we're trying to do. So it really just comes down to trying to figure out a way to just work with everybody. But it's, I just kind of look at it as, a, again, an opportunity to, to learn from different people, right? What they need to do for their job is completely different than what I might be doing. So they may do something new. They may do something different. Um, it might suck. It might not work, but uh, at least <laughs> there, at least it's something different. It's just, it's always like, you know, anytime you get to do that, I love when there's like more than one program on a show or there's more than one LD or whatever, because it's just a chance to like learn from different people. You know, everybody's got a different yeah. way of doing stuff. And uh, that's why I kind of like, like teaching and stuff like that too, because there are definitely times where people I'll be showing somebody something and they'll go, well, why can't you do it that way? And I'll go, yeah, why can't you do it that way? And we'll go down a whole nother path that might lead me to some, a whole new way of doing something, you know? So it's, I, I love that kind of stuff, man. More, you know, more the better. Right? Yeah. It's a question that not enough people ask. They say, well, why can't we do it like that way? Well, I don't know. Cause they said you can't. Well, right. yeah, I'm going to keep asking you why we can't until, until you show me why we can't do it. Yeah. I mean, why not? And, and, you know, just like most of the time we've explored that and I wound up every time I've done something like that, I've wound up, learning something new right so <laughs> i mean and, and sometimes it might be what not to do because we did something and it was terrible but that's pretty valuable information too right knowing what you don't like or what doesn't work is uh, as good and is just as good as knowing what does yeah i think it's been called half the battle knowing knowing what you can't do is yeah half the battle yeah, try it and like, well, that was terrible. But you know, some people are, are yeah. really fearless to to try that stuff. And you know, people and I really respect some of those people to that are just willing to go over the edge on that and just see what happens. And it doesn't always work, but when it does, it's usually the most magical stuff out there, you know. So it's good to do. Yeah. Right on. Well, thank you so much for your nuggets of wisdom. I yeah, appreciate man. you taking time, Mark. Thanks for this having been me. Great. I would much rather do this over uh, a nice bottle of Chianti or something in LA, but here we are. Here I'm, we are. Well, let's, here we are. We'll put that on the list and uh, next, as soon as we can, let's do it. You got it. Thanks buddy. All right, man. Be safe. I will talk to you soon.